Good morning, church. Ryan, can you hear me from where you're at? Folks on the balcony, can you hear me fine? Great. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. In Ava DuVernay's 2019 heart-wrenching series, When They See Us, we were given a stark reminder of the challenges of being seen in the United States. When They See Us depicts the harrowing tale of the so-called Central Park Five. Kevin, Antron, Youssef, Corey, Raymond are five young men of color who are accused and convicted of an awful sexual assault that happened in Central Park. They all went to jail for lengthy periods of time and were eventually exonerated as the actual perpetrator confessed to the crime. The series followed these young men and their families' lives before and after the accusation. Along with the young, man, young men's respective stories, the film highlighted the prosecutor's role and how she was out to get them. Strangely enough, even after the actual perpetrator confessed, the prosecutor still said they were guilty. The title of the series is so telling. There is a double connotation when they see us. It's calling out to the bias that blinds the actual seeing, and the other is when the five were actually seen, they were innocent young men of color. This play of seeing when wanting to see and not seeing when should is a constant cruel game in the American story. In some ways, it is the DNA of our country. From the taking of land from native peoples, the dehumanizing of black and brown bodies, the deferring of freedom, hence the important celebration of Juneteenth tomorrow, the undermining of women, the maligning of immigrant people and the discrimination against queer folks, and intentional laws questioning the humanity of trans folk. Our social fabric has withered due to the unseeing espoused by individuals and institutions. And yes, the church is complicit as well. Our painful reality is that we have trouble seeing each other and cannot even see what we are doing to one another in neglecting our shared humanity as ones made in the image of a merciful and compassionate God. In the Gospel, we hear Jesus during his journey pause and look at people who followed him. Jesus' pause was more than people watching. To pause, look, and reflect can be a grounding spiritual practice. What is it like for you to take a moment and look at the people around and reflect on them? And I'll invite you to look around the room. Look at the folks that are here. Sometimes we come to church and we forget that there are other people around us. Perhaps you'll note a piece of clothing someone is wearing or a color they're wearing or some other particularity of their presence. Don't get stuck on those details. But there's something about paying attention to those around us that's important. If you're a New Yorker, you know how troubling it can be to stare at another person. You don't want to do that on a train. 
So please don't get it wrong. I don't want you to go on the train or the bus and start staring at people because you want to follow Jesus. That's going to be a bit... That's going to get you into a bit of trouble. For the most part, New Yorkers do not love being stared at, and I suspect it's fear based on misconception. We fear what comes with the glare of an intent look. So again, please don't get me wrong. Don't get into a staring contest with kids love to do. But paying attention to the world around is a practice of discipleship of following the Christ that bids, bids us to love radically. In Matthew's depiction of Jesus in his second most crucial discourse after the Sermon on the Mount, the preface of said words in which Jesus gives the disciples a pep talk, his discourse is grounded in Jesus taking note of those around him. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He felt what some call empathy. Empathy is more than saying poor thing. In Puerto Rico, we actually say, ay bendito. Empathy is to internalize the experience of another. Brene Brown says, empathy is the ability to make someone else feel that they are not alone. I'll ask you, when you look at another, how might your presence be conveyed in such a way where another might just feel that they aren't alone in the world. Jesus looked at those around him and apart from seeing their condition, he wanted them to know that they were not alone, that they were seen. He was willing to be there with them, walk with them, listen to them, cry and laugh with them, and let them know what only a close and personal God wants us to know. We are of sacred value. We matter to God. You matter to God. Black, brown, white, and all the hues in between, gay, straight, queer, female, male, non-binary, differently able, poor, rich, you matter to God. God sees you. God sees you. Jesus' way was a challenge as one like him who was gaining status among the crowds. Usually it is the superstar that is sought after and seen. But Jesus turns the table. He saw in each of those that were burdened as superstars because they were important to God. They mattered to him. His simple action was more than a popularity stunt. It was a profound conviction that those burdened people mattered. Jesus cared about people. Ideas were less important to him than people were. It is a great challenge to our day and age where religious systems find that words and our ideas are more important than people. This is an affront to God. If our ideas and interpretations dehumanize or minimize the worth of another, we have missed the point of Scripture, God, and grace. And I know some of us love Jesus as a miracle worker, the way maker, but Jesus did not always work miracles. Jesus could make a way without being glamorous, and just looking at those around him is an example of that. 
The simple act of noting who was around him was the most significant action he could have done. While the gospel writers have gifted us with extraordinary stories that we call miracles, Jesus' extraordinary way of making others feel captures the essence of God's deepest yearning for humanity. Jesus lived with those around him because it was important that they could feel and sense that they mattered. Modern followers on the way of Jesus can take note of this for those of us who are trying to. Seeing more fully around us, we can notice that there are humans and sentient beings in creation that we may be ignoring, sometimes unintentionally. It is a telling tale that as religious institutions fall and crumble, our call is not to reinvent the wheel of institutionalism, but rather to return to the simplicity of love. It can still outweigh anything else. In the words that would follow, Jesus strategically coached the disciples in that they were to be relational entities, not superstars, simple humans grounded in love and care, compassionate ones who were willing to go the extra mile for radical hospitality. We need compassionate humans in the world more than ever. There is a globalization of indifference as Pope Francis describes it. He says, whenever our interior life becomes caught up in its own interests and concerns, there is no longer room for others, no place for the poor. God's voice is no longer heard and the quiet joy of God's love is no longer felt and the desire to do good fades. I want you to hear this morning that God is deeply in love with each and every one of you. You are loved by God. But I want you to also hear that if in this lifetime you get to experience that love, it will transform not only the way you see yourself, but how you see the world around you and how you are willing to treat others. To be immersed in divine love will be the compass to guide what you are willing to fight for, what you need to let go, and how willing you can be to commit for the liberation of all human beings. Moreover, we need to experience that compassionate Jesus so that we can also allow others to experience something greater than the pain that can characterize the world. There is a compassionate one that meets us all where we are at and lets us know that our inherent worth surpasses our complexes, our deficits, and our rough patches. The God who sees you knows you are worth more than your bank account, your fancy outfits, or your degrees. All of those things can disappear in the blink of an eye, but that you are exceptionally loved and coherently in the awareness of the mystery called God will forever hold you. Maya Angelou told a story that always moves me when I read and hear it. Practicing with a vocal instructor from a book called Lessons in Truth, the instructor insisted she repeat a line she had said with such blahness 
I don't believe she said it with such blandness, but that's what Maya said. The line was, God loves me. She says, and he said, read it again. Read it again. Read it again. And finally, I said, God loves me. It still humbles me that this force that makes leaves and fleas and stars and rivers and you loves me. Maya Angelou, it's amazing. I can do anything and do it well. Any good thing, I can do it. That's why I am who I am. Yes, because God loves me and I'm amazed at it. I'm grateful for it. Jesus knew the folks around him could not capture that greater sense for themselves because the socio-economic, political, religious world joined forces that lost the perspective that humans need more than rules, words, and philosophies. Humans need a relational connection. Jesus frequently attacked the religious systems of his time for this very reason. The system seemed to only exist for some superficial function and not to form a deeper relationship with self, God, and others. So he looked at them and felt something more than the pain that characterized their existence. Jesus felt deep care for them and love. And as he felt their pain, their anguish, and their subtle anger, and their pronounced despair, he needed that to move him. The original Greek word for, uh, that says that Jesus felt compassion for them, says that he felt it in the pit of his stomach. That's some fierce empathy. The text says he had compassion, which implies empathy, which means two things came together, the knowing and the feeling to move into action. Compassion is moving from thoughts and feelings into the realm of action. And it is hard work. Henry Nouwen says, compassion is hard work because it requires the disposition to go with others to the place where they are weak, vulnerable, lonely, and broken. But just as Jesus is willing, we are invited to go to the place of compassion and capture a vision larger than pain and suffering and see the God of hope and life come through. A few years ago, I led a group for young fathers in a model called the Parenting Journey. In one of these sessions, we did an activity where we placed parents in pairs with a mirror, and they were to ask themselves three questions. What do you see? What do you like? What would you change? I do not know if Jesus would do this activity, but I am confident that the Jesus I love, whom I know and follow, will answer the questions. He might say, I see people tired of suffering, dejected, marginalized, lost. I see in these few all of humanity because we all feel lost, sad, desperate, and disoriented from time to time. He would say, I like seeing them just as they are. I am not frightened by their pain or fears. Their sorrows do not scare me away, and their resistance does not push me away. Perhaps Jesus would say, I just want to embrace you where you're at. 
I want you to know a life grounded in God's fullness. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there is a lot of need in the world, but the laborers are few. Beloved, you and I are the answer to Jesus' request. The world needs a bit more compassion, intent that challenges injustice, and love that casts out fear. Jesus needs an extra set of eyes. And guess what? We are those extra set of eyes. Amen.